Revelation 8, 1 through 13. And uh, I know sometimes I'll kind of talk about stuff that maybe that's going on and so forth. And uh, I mean, it's the same old, same old, is it not? <laughs> What's the prophecy update? It's the same old, same old. You know, there's a beast system getting pushed. But our Lord is ruling and reigning on high. And uh, you know what? In the midst of all of the fear mongering and power grab and all this stuff, I see God working and moving in the midst of his people and doing good things. And man, it's just, um, it's a good time to be growing and abounding in the Lord. And um, you know what? I, I, what's been standing out to me is the scripture we looked at on Sunday about the fear of God and how it brings a strong confidence. That reverence of those birds, like. Remember Abraham, uh, he had to shoo off the the birds when he brought the sacrifice. Like, anyhow, someone said BB gun. <laughs> we gotta take that off. The PETA people will be out here. Is that what they call them? PETA. Is that what they're called? Yeah. Wait, the birds will be fine, folks. So, anyhow, you know what? A, what a day to rejoice in the Lord. And you know, at some point, that bird might be bringing us our meals. You know, <laughs> Elijah style, you know, and uh, you think of old Ahab, boy, they, he couldn't get that guy for anything. Just everywhere he went, God made a miracle to provide for him. And that, that's, that's an exciting thing about living in Bible times. We're living in Bible times, you know, that we're living in biblical days. And so uh, it's an opportunity to, to see God work in magnificent ways. It's an opportunity to rejoice in the sufferings of Christ. It's an opportunity to, um, you know what? Uh, for, for great exploits to happen amongst the people of God. And I see a lot of people, um, through the Lord working in them and them standing in the Scripture, walking in great exploits to God's glory and honor. So we'll get the Word tonight and, and just hope that that helps build our faith. Uh, we learn more about our God and so forth. So again, Revelation 8 is where we're at. Lord willing, we'll look at all the chapters, 13 verses. If we don't make it through, that's all right. We'll pick it up, Lord willing, next week. But previously before this, we saw those first six seals being broken. I'm not going to recap all those tonight. We've done that. And, you know, at some point maybe we'll do another recap of those. I think recapping's good. You know, uh, Peter says, I come to you by way of reminder. And I'm a, I'm a you know what, I'm a serious believer in mes- muscle memory. Not only physically, but even when it comes to the scriptures and, you know, what, through, through repetition having truth ingrained to our heart. Because as I read the Bible, I see a lot of repetition. And I praise God for that. I thank God that in just about every book of the Bible, God reminds me that He loves me. God reminds me of His grace. God reminds me of His goodness, of who He is, that He's not a liar, that He's true. And just over and over and over and over again. And the reason why is because I have a tendency to forget those things. And I need to get those truths ingrained into my heart. So those first six seals we looked at, the last few weeks we saw that 144,000, I don't want to say Jews, Israelis really, I mean Jews really more from the tribe of Judah, though we use that phrase today to describe pretty much anyone with, you know, uh, Hebrew, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, genetics and so forth, 144,000 from uh, 12 different tribes sealed to be these witnesses, and then last week we really saw what seems to be the fruit of their witness a great multitude coming out of the tribulation for their faith in the lord 
being persecuted for their faith in the Lord. And we talked throughout this, the, you know, at the, the differences between these tribulation saints and the church. And we won't get into that tonight. We've talked about that uh, in previous weeks. We'll get back into it again at some point down the road. Uh, but that's where we've been. Tonight we come here to the seventh seal. And before we see the seventh seal broken, first of all, we see a short period of silence in heaven. And there's a lot of things to consider in that. You know, we're in a, a busy world. Uh, it's busier than, than it seems than it's ever been. And, um, you know, we see silence in heaven. And definitely there are times when we just need to stop and, and slow down and wait on the Lord in a, in a truthful and a biblical way. And we need to remember that, hey, God's ruling and reigning on high. And so we'll talk about that. And then, praise God, we're going to see the prayers of the saints that have stacked up in glory. We're really seeing, um, you know, the Lord's prayer is oftentimes it's called, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as, is, as it is in heaven. Really through revelation, we're seeing that prayer being answered. And we'll talk about that here, that prayer that so oftentimes uh, lifted up which is a prayer of lord you come come set this in order we pray your kingdom will come and guess what his kingdom is coming and listen when you come to christ the kingdom of god is within you absolutely we're ambassadors for christ but make no mistake his kingdom is coming the time's coming soon when these ignoramuses will no longer be ruling and reigning here on earth it's going to be Christ literally reigning with a rod of iron in a glorious, upright, holy way. And we want to pray for these ignoramuses, absolutely. And uh, maybe I shouldn't say it like that. Um, and, and praise God, there's a, a remnant in, in, in every group. And I have no doubt even in that group, there's, there's a remnant that fear God. I think it's a small remnant. But the glorious thing is, um, listen, that prayer is going to be answered. And we'll talk about that. And again, as I said earlier, these aspects of prayer. And then we're going to see God sending forth these seven angels with seven trumpet judgments. And we'll see how deep we get into that. Maybe we'll look at it. We see the first four uh, here in Revelation 8. And it's a continuation of the wrath of God being poured out here in the great tribulation. Um, the Lord wanting to bring men to repentance, wanting to bring mankind to repentance. And again, praise God, we see many coming to repentance in the tribulation, but really compared to the, 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 the masses, so many still rejecting God, even though they're seeing the judgment of God come right down upon them. And it just shows the great depravity of men and the hardness of people's hearts. So uh, let's, let's, we'll just go a verse at a time down through this. I know I have the whole text there for you. Tonight you basically just got all my notes. Mine are in color. You guys got black and white. I know there's a lot there, and it might be kind of hard to, to follow along right now with italicized in the Scripture. So I'd encourage you, for the most part, follow along with the Scriptures, and then you can go back to the notes and so forth, and hopefully you'll understand all that stuff. Some of it's in code when I put it there. So I know what I'm talking about, but you might not know. But hopefully after I talk about it, you know what I'm talking about. Otherwise, you know, that, that we, we won't meet our objective, and it's not for you to leave here confused, but with more understanding. So... Notice what it says here, the first verse. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And um, you know what? We keep coming back to this, that Jesus is in control. 
because the he here is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we go back to Revelation 5, they're looking for the one who can open the seals, the deed of the earth. It's really a claiming of that deed of the earth that's been purchased back by Christ at the cross of Calvary. And only the rightful owner can open up that deed. And all of heaven rejoiced when the one was found who was worthy, the Lamb of God through the shedding of His blood. And so every time we've come to these seals and it says He opened the seal, we've been reminded. And listen, the Lord's pressed hard on my heart to every time we get together to remind His people, to remind His, uh, his daughters and His sons and His saints that Jesus Christ is on the throne. That He is ruling and reigning upon high. That's a truth that the enemies of our soul are working hard for us to forget. And so it's all the more we need to put the truth before us that Christ is reigning and ruling on high. He is in control at every single moment. And when it says he opened the seventh seal, it's a reminder of that. He's doing that in glory and he is control here on earth. And then notice the seventh seal is broken. And with these seals, we've seen these great judgments coming. But with this one, as it is broken, the first thing we read that comes with it is silence or a hush, or peace. And this is quite a thing in the midst, again, of all that's being poured out, all of a sudden, there's silence. I mean, think of everything we've been looking at of uh, peace being taken from the earth, and famine, and a collapsed economy, and a quarter of the earth being killed through all these various means, and so forth, and then this great persecution on tribulation saints, and them being brought up into glory through all of this, then all of a sudden, the next seal is broken, and it's all of a sudden like everything just stops. All of a sudden there's just a calm on everything. And as I studied that and considered it, what I thought of is all of those pictures we see in glory when there's chaos on earth. And, and God's people are just looking around and they're saying, what in the world's going on? And they call out to the Lord and the Lord immediately brings a calm to the situation. Or he brings a calm to the heart. And how can we not think of you know, and there's more than one occasion where the disciples are out there on the sea and out there on the Sea of Galilee. And, you know, if you've never been there, you think of, you know, some ocean and the Sea of Galilee. It's like kind of a glorified Lake Nacimiento, really, is what it is, you know. And it's really a lake, a sea. It's got different various names and so forth. But these men grew up fishing on that sea. And on this one occasion in Mark, you know, there's a great windstorm and these guys their worry, their concern, and Jesus is just sleeping there in the boat. And you see the humanity of Christ in that, and you know that he's 100% God and 100% a man. And they wake him up, and they say, don't you care that we're perishing? And again, these guys have been on this sea their whole life. They're fishermen, and this storm is so insane, they think they're going to die. They're worried about their future. They're thinking, we're not going to make it through the night and so they turn to the lord who again he's taken a nap because guess what he's not worried about it he knows the end from the beginning he knows that this is not the time for these disciples to go to glory and so they cry out to him and notice mark 4 uh, 4 39 he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea peace be still and the wind ceased and notice there was a great calm and we're talking about again that prayer, let, you know, what, your, 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 your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we read of this calm here with the seventh seal. 
And beautifully, listen, it's a reminder to us as there is a calm and glory along with all this praise and worship and everything we're reading in Revelation that's going to unfold. It, with all that, there, there's, there's also a calm and in the midst of everything that comes our way here on earth on the storms and the seas, there's a place where calm is found. And it's in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded of that when we think I'm about to perish or what's going to come next. Cry out to your Lord. Stand in the truth of the scriptures and let the Lord, you turn to the Lord, the Lord will bring a calm to your heart. He'll bring a peace to your mind through scriptures, through the work of the Holy Spirit, through you casting your cares upon him. And I'll tell you, it's something that we need to be walking in every single day. We're learning to do that more than we ever had before. Don't you agree with that tonight? And that's a good thing. We're growing in the Lord in that. That's a glorious thing. Listen, it's a good thing to be growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes you only grow or you grow the most when you're in the midst of a fire, when you're in the midst of some persecutions and tribulations and so forth. And uh, you know what? That's why the fire and the flood, they're not always bad. Sometimes they're the best place to be. Now, again, with these seals, we've seen in heaven a rejoicing that these seals are being broken there's an understanding there with the church, with the angels, the living creatures, that God's wrapping up this dispensation. They're celebrating this. They're celebrating that the Lord's going to button things up. We know there will be a millennial reign for a thousand years and then another buttoning of things up. You read about it later in Revelation. But from the man time, the time man's sin in the garden, you know what? There's just been upheaval on earth. And now it's getting wrapped up. And so there's been this glory and celebration and glory. And now we come to a place where there's a silence. And I have to think that with that crowd there in heaven, in that silence, it's maybe just a refocus of anticipation and awe. Awe of everything that's happened. An awe and anticipation of what's going to come next. Because sometimes you get so... You know, I know in my life just things are going and things are going and then sometimes you just kind of got to stop and you got to think and look and go, wow, look what God's doing. And then what's God going to do next? And that's an exciting thing. That's a blessing we have in the Lord. We should rejoice in what God has done and what God is doing and what God is going to do. And sometimes we just get so caught up in just what's unfolding that we forget to do that. And so my thought here is in this silence, there's almost kind of a, 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 a refocus perhaps on those in glory of what's taking place and then what's about to happen next. You could maybe also describe it as the calm before the storm. And there's already been some storms, some great storms we read at, read about, but it's really nothing about what's coming next because this seems to be unfolding around the middle of the tribulation. Maybe it's a little into the second part. Maybe it's still there in the first. It's kind of hard to fully timeline this until you get to about chapter 10, I believe it is, where he prophesies again of things. So we kind of try to put this over. But we know this, what comes with these trumpet judgments and then with the bold judgments makes the sealed judgments look very small and minor. It's just a wrapping up more a ramping up more of the wrath of God being poured out so it's almost like a calm before even a greater storm that's about to come and again in all of this practically this calm in heaven 
It's again a reminder to us. Let's make sure we're stopping and remembering that our God's ruling and reigning on high. We should do that every day. Psalm 46, 10, be still and know that I am God. And what that is, listen, that's not stopping. And, you know, this has been so perverted, this scripture, the last 20, 30 years, especially through uh, uh, mysticism and ancient traditions of monks who in the fourth century hooked up with Buddhists who supposedly taught them how to draw nearer to God through emptying your mind and going into a new age meditative state. And that's crept into so much of evangelicalism. That's not what this is. We're to take all our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. We're to be a thinking people. What this is is stopping and meditating on the things of God and remembering my God is in control. My God's ruling and reigning on high. Everything's going on around me and there's this news reporter and there's that news report and there's this mandate and there's the threat of this next. Well, wait a minute. I'm going to stop in all of this and be still and remember my God's reigning on high. And it's something we need to be walking in and abounding in. And then it's interesting. It says there's silence in heaven for about half an hour. And you have to ask the question, how much time is that here on earth? Because remember, the Lord said, that to him a day's is a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. So is a half an hour in heaven, at least in this context, is that a half an hour on earth? Or is this some days? Is this some weeks? Is it a couple months? You know, God's very gracious. And a lot of times he'll give reprieves. A lot of times he'll be, you know what, bringing trials into people's lives, wanting to bring them to repentance or want to bring correction. And then he'll step back. And give them an opportunity to respond. And I have to think that's perhaps what this is. Again, these first six seals have brought a lot of judgment. And it seems that after the judgment that comes where they go under the rocks and are calling the rocks to cry out, you know, to, to crush them. They're thinking this is the end. It wasn't the end, though. It's just kind of the middle of this. It seems like they crawl out from underneath of those rocks and got a decision to make. And maybe it's through that where... You know, that great multitude in heaven comes in. Maybe it's through that that there, there's a revival in the midst of this. Unfortunately, there's a larger group that seems to regroup and all the more get all the more defiant upon God. And that's a sad thing. And yet I think that's a commentary on just about everybody's life. You know, what are you going to choose? Where are you going to turn? You know, I think we all have those moments. And, and you know, I think that most of you are probably here tonight because you, you, you had that, that season in life where the Lord was pressing on you and you knew it's, 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 it's time to decide it, who am I going to follow? Where there was a sensitivity to the, 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 the beckoning and the knocking of the Holy Spirit. And uh, you know what? Praise God. Praise God. You know what? That you called upon Jesus Christ. I doubt if there's anyone here in this garden that's regretted that, you know? And yet how sad that there's so many that in that time, they harden their heart. And maybe tonight you're in that place and you know God's knocking on the door of your heart. What are you going to do? I encourage you, man, don't harden your heart because we're entering in a day of, of, of strong delusions. And tomorrow you might go into that place where you don't hear that knocking anymore. That's why we are exhorted to respond today to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the fact we're sinners, to the fact he died for our sins and rose from the grave. And the good news is, Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord 
will be saved. That's how good our God is. He'll save and wash anyone who repents and says, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. He wants to see people saved. Notice verse 2, and I saw seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Now, these angels will see they're standing before God to then be sent by God. And we can glean from this. You see this pattern throughout the Word of God. In Luke 18, um, or excuse me, Luke 1.18, we read of John the Baptist's father. It says, and Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. Again, she had been barren and God says, I'm going to give you a child. Another miracle, God working in the scripture. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel. Then what I want to point out here, it says, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring these glad tidings or to bring this good news. You read in Hebrews 1.14 about angels, they're ministering spirits sent forth. And those, they're sent forth to minister, to do the bidding and the work of the Lord. But they're always sent from where? They're sent from the presence of God. They're not just floating around, you know, doing what angels do and kicking it and so forth. You know, all, the, all of the, the, the bad theology we get from movies and cartoons and stuff when we were kids. No, they're before the Lord and then they're sent out to minister. And that's how they can minister effectively because, listen, angels aren't God. They're not. They're not the Lord, and we should never worship them. We should never pray to them. They are God's ministering spirits, and listen, they minister effectively because they get sent out from the presence of the Lord. God's called us to be ministers, has he not? God's called us to represent him. We're called ambassadors for Christ. We've talked a lot about this. He gives us gifts. He has a general call on our lives and specifics on our life, but hear this tonight. Do you want to minister effectively? Do you want to minister effectively to your kids, your grandkids, your spouse? You want to minister effectively in your place of business to your customers, your clients, your coworkers, to your boss, whatever the situation is? You want to do that effectively? Hear this tonight. You can't muster that up on your own. You got to spend time with the Lord. You got to be with God, walking with him. That's where effective ministry comes from. You have nothing to give if you don't first receive. We've got to receive from the Lord if we want to have anything in our hand to give. Zechariah, it's a passage that many are familiar with, a verse, but not everyone knows the context. It's where God says to Zerubbabel, not by might nor power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And you've got to know what was going on. They had gone back from the captivity to rebuild the temple, and it was in rubble. And so Zerubbabel, the governor, I like saying that, Zerubbabel, it, it just, it's just a mass of rocks. And he says, listen, th- this looks, you look so defeated here. This looks like such an overwhelming task, but you need to know, this isn't going to come from your might and power. So take a load off, Zerubbabel. It's going to come, and this is going to get rebuilt by the Spirit of God. And it was him tell, God telling them, again, seek me first in this. Seek me first. And as a handful of men begin to do that and show others to do that, things happened that were 
you know what, against all odds in the rebuilding of that temple, then later with Nehemiah coming in and the rebuilding of the wall, something that laid in rubble for years and years, a man was moved in the spirit, sought God first. Remember, we went down to Jerusalem, walked and he prayed and God gave him a blueprint. God gave him a plan and God raised up people and it went right up even in the midst of their enemies mocking them and making fun of them and trying to derail them. And so let's follow these leads and examples. Let's seek him first. I oftentimes think of the, the, the uh, disciples. They're early in Acts. And um, the Lord's working through them in such a powerful way. We see people getting healed. We see, pe- we see miracles. We see people getting saved. We, we, we see men that, again, in themselves, they can't do these things. And it's interesting, their enemies, they say about them and, Acts 4.13, it says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they noticed they realized they had been with Jesus. They said, these, these, okay, these guys haven't been educated in our system. They haven't been trained by our rabbis, but they're moving with, with boldness. They're, they're, they're moving with just great power. The power of God is seen in these men. And they're like, well, What's the reason for this? And they realize, oh, they've been with Jesus. They've, they've walked with the Lord. And you know, what's interesting in the Greek there, that's not, if you look at the, the, the tense of that, that's not referring to they were with Jesus before his death, but it's like, oh, they were with Jesus this morning. That's what's implied there. You want to be effective in your home. You want to be effective, again, in your ministry, the places you go. You've got to first seek the Lord, and we need to seek Him more than we ever have. We want to stand in His presence, in the Word, in prayer. And again, He goes with us, but we want to go forth in power. And I can't muster that up on my own. Now, it says these seven angels, they have seven trumpets. And real quick, I won't read all this, but I think it is commentary on what's going on here. There are so many places where trumpets are used in various ways in the Scripture. We read in Numbers 10.9, they were to blow the trumpet as an alarm when they would go to war. And these angels have these trumpets and they're blowing them and absolutely it's indicating that God is at war with fallen man and has come to the point where they rejected him so much, the trumpet's being blown and he says, I'm waging war on you. Now before we came to Christ, we were all at war with God. Praise God through Jesus, we're at peace with God. Isn't that a good place to be? But this trumpet, again, it is an indication that fallen man is at war with God, and God's been very patient. God has been very long-suffering. But when this time comes, listen, it's crunch time, and the trumpet's being blown. You men down here rejecting a Christ are at war with God. In Exodus 19, we see the trumpet is blown when the law was given. And we read about the camp below trembling. And even in this time, there is going to be an apparent proclamation and bold proclamation of the laws of God and that these men on earth are transgressors of it. And that's going to come with the blowing of these trumpets. Also with the blowing of these trumpets, it's bringing down the monuments of men. We read about everything getting leveled in this time. And you know what? How oftentimes has mankind and we've all done it in our own life where we built things and it's amazing what 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 people are able to build is it not i mean you marvel at things and and 
you know, it, 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 it can be to the glory of God, but sadly, how oftentimes it's to the glory of men. And I think about Jericho and the Canaanites that they were so rebellious, their sin had stacked to heaven. They were no longer ashamed of it. Now it was time for them to be judged. And remember, the first city they took was Jericho. And they had these giant walls that seemed like they couldn't be penetrated. And God says, walk around. And on that seventh day, walk and do what? Blow the trumpet. And it's all going to come down. And I'll tell you, these angels blowing those trumpets, it's taking down everything that man has built up here in rebellion against God. And the things we even see getting pushed today by these tyrants in high places saying, we're going to be the ones in power. I think there's a real effort by these individuals to, again, all the more enslave individuals to do their bidding. And it falls in line in Scripture. But praise God, listen, we're free in Christ. I'm a citizen of heaven. And the Lord is going to be blowing some trumpets in the, rear, 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 in, the, in, the, in the very near future. I'll get it out one way or another. And there's going to be stuff getting leveled. So remember that. And then I'll tell you what, also a trumpet, and there's many more applications here. The trumpet was always blown to announce a new king. <laughs> and Jesus has always been the king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. But I'm going to tell you, those that don't want to acknowledge him, the day's coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. I'm going to tell you in the blowing of these trumpets, it's a proclamation. Guys down here on earth, Jesus is about to come back. Notice verse 3. And another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. And again, notice these angels are at the altar. What a good place to be. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayer of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Look, at we, we get a shout out right here. All the saints. Are you in Christ tonight? Is he your Lord and Savior? You're part of all the saints. We've been sanctified through the shed blood of the Lamb. It's a lie to say, well, a, select, a selected few are saints. No, 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 no. That's bad theology. That's not biblical. That is not scripture. That's the tradition of Men peddling really ultimately a false gospel. We are saints in Christ Jesus and hear this tonight. Our prayers don't go up into the air and float away. They're collected in heaven by God Almighty. And we see that all over the place. Hear this tonight. Our prayers, your prayers are of great, great value to God. We see him here not in some bowl that is earthen vessel but we see it in a golden censer and let me tell you that censer is not gold plated <laughs> if the streets are paved with gold and glory surely the censers are pure gold and again is gold really even a value in heaven it's asphalt but it's telling us that those prayers are valuable and they're precious before god and he hears them and think about the scriptures there's so many James 5, 16, one of my favorite. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man does what? It availeth much. Maybe right now you're like, man, I just feel like I'm on the rock between a rock and a hard place. And there's really, I don't feel like I can do anything. What can I do? You better get on your face and pray. And the beautiful thing about being between a rock and a hard place, at least in my life, it ramps up my prayers and they get a lot more fervent. <laughs> and I see they get a lot more effective. 
we were told in first peter 4 7 but the end of all things is at hand and boy that's an understatement of when it was said then versus where we are today the end of all things is at hand therefore what be serious and watchful in your prayers i think we agree we look at the world around us and it seems very evident the things going on are lining up with the things taught of the Olivet Discourse and other things Jesus said would happen before the end of the age. And so what's he tell us here? Be serious and watchful in your prayers. Notice again, our prayers go up to heaven. God takes note of them. Let's take that to heart tonight and all the more be serious and watchful in our prayers. Know that fervent prayer availeth much. Think about Paul and there's many writings like this many verses in his ministry romans fifteen thirty. now i beg you brethren through the lord jesus christ and through the love of the spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to god for me paul says i beg of you partner with me in prayer paul wasn't just saying that because you know just it's religious right thing to say no he says he's saying i understand the effectiveness of prayer if you can do anything for me if, if there's anything that you can bless me with, partner with me in prayer. I beg of you, pray for me. And I'll say tonight, as your pastor, I beg you, pray for me. I pray for you. I pray for you. Day in and day out, to the glory of God. The Lord showed me early on in ministry, you can't do anything. Nothing will happen if you don't pray. Something might happen that looks like something, but nothing really happens unless you first seek after me there needs to be a work of the spirit and then notice that the angels given much incense to offer it with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar which is before the throne and again this infusion of incense into our prayers it's just a reminder that our prayers listen they're a sweet smell to god and i think about my life and listen there's a lot of things in my life that stink there's a lot of things in my life, we'll go King James Version, that stinketh. It's true. It stinks. I'm far from having the work completed in me. I'm a work in progress. And again, a lot of things stinketh. But those prayers, those fervent prayers, they're a sweet-smelling incense to God. That's a glorious thing. Hopefully that, you know, it helps mask the, the, the stinketh. Praise God, the blood of Jesus covers it all, or I'm in big trouble. But then again, notice the prayers they're accounted for. All these prayers are accounted for in the presence of God. They're in glory, though they hadn't been fully answered. How many times do we start fervently praying about something and we say, okay, God, I give you a, I'm going to give you three hours to answer. Oh, we'll, we'll say, I give you half an hour. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take Revelation 8 out of context. You got half an hour, God. Or I'll give you three days or three weeks. I'll give you three months. I'll give you three years. Or I'll give you 15 years. And then we go, I'm going to tap out. This prayer is not being answered. You need to see what's going on again in the heavenly dimension these prayers hadn't been answered, but listen, they'd been heard and they'd been accounted for. I won't read it, but in Acts 10, we read about Cornelius. And God says, your prayers have come before me as a memorial. Keep that in mind when you pray. Again, oftentimes we, 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 we pray 
And it's like, if the answer doesn't come, I'm going to stop. And, and th- th- that, that's immaturity. But we, 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 I welcome God to answer right away. I, I love that. And so we do want to pray with an expectation, and we never want to doubt that God can answer me right now. God can. I've seen time where I've, I've seen people many a time, hands laid on, and they were healed right then and there. Many and many a time. But there's many a things that, that, that God's laid on my heart to pray for, and I continue to pray, and I, I, I haven't seen that prayer answered yet. But God reminds us of these passages like this, and then in Acts as well, because I think it's Epaphras that it says that he labors fervently in prayer. And I get, I get the mindset of a bricklayer. That wall behind you didn't just get put up. It was brick by brick by brick by brick. And maybe I can relate because of my construction background. We got to go and build something and it's tedious and you got to be consistent and persistent and so forth. But I know eventually this is going to look like something. And keep that in mind. Keep laying bricks. Keep bringing the prayers before the Lord. God's timing is always perfect. We're foolish to think that our prayers are not powerful or that because, in our viewpoint, they haven't been answered yet, we should stop praying. It's a big mistake. Luke 18, 1, it says, Jesus spoke this parable to them that men ought to always pray and not lose heart. Did you hear that? Do not lose heart. Instead, pray. And then he gives the parable of the persistent widow. And you got to understand in that culture, in the context here, a widow was considered the lowest of the low. It's sad. That's why Jesus rebuked the religious people for their treatment of widows and orphans and outcasts, so to speak, and so forth. They, they had nothing to profit from them, so they kicked them to the curb. And so it speaks of this widow who needed justice to be done. And so there's a judge that doesn't fear God nor man, but she just pesters him. And she pesters them and pesters them and pesters them. And the judge finally says, listen, I don't fear God or man. But I got to get this widow to quit pestering me. So I'm going to give her what she wants just so she'll leave me alone. And it's a mistake to look at this and say, boy, if I pester God enough, I'll get my way. I'll get that million dollars if I keep pestering them. That's not what this is saying. And it's sad when people interpret it in such a manner. This is a picture of a widow recognizing the only one who can help me in this situation is this judge. So I'm going to pester and pester and pester because I got nowhere else to turn. God has called us to seek him in that way. Where else can I turn? I'm going to turn to the Lord and I'm going to turn back to the Lord over and over and over again, because no matter what's going on in my life, There's one who can do something about it, and his name's the Lord Jesus Christ. So let let us always pray and not lose heart. How many times in the scripture are the people of God on the cusp of about losing heart and the Lord comes in and works? And you're like, why did he wait so long to build their faith, to stretch them, to grow them, to work things out in them? And again, listen, these prayers are being stacked and it's really in part that prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many times have we prayed that? 
We pray it often, don't we? I mean, it's definitely ingrained in my prayer life. I want your kingdom to come, Lord. I want it to come in my life. I want the things of God manifest in my life. Absolutely, as an ambassador of, ambassador of Christ. But this is more so, come soon, Lord Jesus. This is Maranatha. Let your kingdom come, Lord. And all those prayers are being stacked in heaven. And we're in Revelation seeing all these things come to a pinnacle and it all unfolding. I believe at this point, I lean heavily to we're been raptured in glory with God. And listen, the stable's getting warmed up there in heaven and we're getting ready to get on those horses and ride back. You read about it in Revelation 19. This is not asking for our wrath to be poured out, but for God to come with his wrath our wrath doesn't produce anything righteous but god will again we talked about it sunday if you want to shun his mercy and he is so merciful the more you shun it the more wrath is stacked up and we're in a world right now that for the most part wants to wash itself of all the things of god and the time's coming again where god's gonna say that's what you want i'm gonna pull off all restraints this is what the world looks like when there's a people that have hardened their hearts so much saying god we don't want you Verse 5, it says, Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. It's interesting in Scripture, you read about, we, we, we often talk about hellfire, right? There's also heaven fire. <laughs> in fact, Hebrews twelve twenty nine it says, Our God is a consuming fire. I don't want anything to do with hellfire. I want, I want heaven fire. Matthew 3, 11, John the Baptist is speaking, and he says, Indeed, I baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, and I love it. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Not a strange fire. A lot of people will peddle a strange fire. doesn't line up with the word at all. He wants to baptize us with a biblical fire, a biblical anointing. The Greek word there is pur, P-U-R. It's where we get to be purified. A fire that's upright, a, a, a fire that, that again has a power and energy and so forth. We need that more than ever, a baptism of Holy Spirit fire. And I rejoice because everywhere I see in the Scripture, when you see the people of God getting closed in on and getting, you know what, pushed more and persecuted more you see more of the holy spirit more of the fire poured out and that's not because god's saying you got to be this to have that it's because that's oftentimes when we finally look up and say okay lord i'm ready to surrender all to you <laughs> I'm, I'm ready things are getting stripped from me so there's 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 room i don't have anywhere else to turn this stuff's getting taken or i'm laying it down there there's there's more room in my life so to speak to be filled with the fullness of god Jesus also said in Luke 12, 49, I come to send fire on the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how distressed I am till that is accomplished. And then notice verse 51. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. The baptism he was talking about was going to the cross. And he says, make no mistake. And boy, a lot of people make this mistake, right? 
They think of Jesus and the next word that comes is kumbaya, you know. And he says, don't be fooled. I came to bring a division. He's talking about a fire of judgment coming upon this earth. But he says, first, I'm going to be baptized. I'm going to lay down, down my life so people can get saved. And there's a division that's coming between those that call on the name of Christ and those who reject him. And boy, we're seeing that line drawn in the sand deeper and deeper, aren't we? It seems like about every day we're seeing it. Getting deeper and deeper and deeper. It's good to be on the winning side, folks. It's good to know even in the fourth quarter where it looks like you're losing, your quarterback's going to come in and you're going to win. <laughs> and that's not even doing it justice. But Jesus used parables, so I'll make an effort here or there and try my best and probably fell, fall on my face. And then, again, Jesus said, in Mark 9, 43, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's far better for you to enter into life maimed than rather having two hands and go to hell into fire that shall never be quenched. And that's, again, that wrath, that judgment of God. And this seems to be heavenly fire being thrown down. And it's just a preview of what's awaiting those that don't want to call in his name. And all the people on the earth right now, at, th at this point, they have an opportunity. What are you going to do? Again, he's going to repay, avenge, judge. Go if you get a chance. It's there in your notes. Number 16. It talks about the judgment of Korah. And it's interesting. It talks about fire and censers. And it seems to be a little bit of a Old Testament insight, maybe into Revelation 18 here where they're questioning Moses' authority, Korah and these 250 men, they're in rebellion. I mean, let's remember, Moses is a type of Christ. He's a deliverer. He was a picture. He's not Christ, but a picture of how Christ will come and deliver his people. And it's Moses and Aaron here. You know, Miriam is, is, is a, 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 a leader with them as well. It's scriptural and so forth. Korah comes along with this great rebellion. Who made you in charge? And Moses is like, well, God. Sorry, God did. And, you know, there's a bunch of sarcasm and so forth. And Moses says, let's do this. Let's, let's take fire and put it in censers and we'll bring it before God and we'll sort this out. The next day comes, they bring their fire and he says, get away. Everyone get away from these guys who wants to live. And see, these guys had a strange fire in their censer. They didn't have the fire from the tabernacle. And it says the earth opened up and swallowed Korah and his guys. And then it says a fire broke out and consumed the rest of them. And I think it's a picture of what we're reading about here. Again, 250 verses 1. But if you're one with the one, the Son of God, you're going to be victorious every single time. First Thessalonians, again, it talks about tribulation and flaming fires of vengeance. That's what we see here. And then we read about this great earthquake. It's, it's one of many we read about in Revelation. Noises, thunderings, lightnings, a great earthquake. It's judgment and wrath being poured out. Verse 6, so the seven angels who had seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. And I, I just asked my question, how did you do that? Were they tuning their trumpets? Was it a little rehearsal? No, I think what we see is they're in the presence of God 
they're worshiping God and that's preparing them to blow the trumpet. And it goes back to what we've already considered. If you want to go be effective, you have to first get before the Lord. They're prepared to go out because they've been before him. We need to be prepared. I love it. In 2 Timothy 2.20, it says, But in a great house, there's not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he'll be a vessel of honor. Notice, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And then there's some tips on preparation in the next verse. How do I prepare? Flee youthful lust. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Turn from what's wicked, pursue what's upright, and do it in the company of others that want to turn from what's wicked and abound in the things of God. Hopefully tonight we're getting more prepared to go out and be used by the Lord. We're getting equipped. In fact, that's one of the main reasons we gather together to get equipped for the work of the ministry verse 7 the first angel sounded and hell and fire followed mingled with blood and they were thrown to the earth and a third of the trees were burnt up and all the green grass was burned up so hell fire and blood are thrown to the earth is what is this is this a massive volcano is it a comet is this just a supernatural event it's hard for us to wrap our minds fully around it, but I'll also take it at face value, hell, fire, and blood. And again, remember, we've seen and established that there's going to be no rain in this time on the earth. And so we're familiar with this in California when you have a drought and the dries land, the land's dry, uh, the, or, the, the, you know, the, it's drier. It doesn't help when the forest bed's not cleaned up. You know, that, that we won't get into that tonight. I'll go on a rant and whatnot. It's like you see California on fire. Then why is there no fires in Mexico? Oh, they go and they, they clean up the forest floor. It, it's, it's called using it for firewood and not worshiping the banana slug. Um, mini rant for you there. <laughs> um, just practical things are so good, you know. But it's gonna. It's all the more. And again, it's it's interesting here where it says a third of the trees. The Greek word there is really fruit trees. And so maybe it's just all the fruit trees that get burned up. Again, this is this is a time of great famine. So an already depleted food supply gets depleted even more. And this sounds a lot like what we read about in Genesis 18 with Sodom and Gomorrah. Their sin had stacked to heaven. It was grave before God. And I know some of you. You know, the sin was they weren't hospitable. Because there is a passage that talks about they were a, a, an, un, an unhospitable people. Indeed, but see, that was the minor sin. The major one was rank homosexuality. Where it wasn't just a few of the people. When the angels came, it says men came out from every quarter of the city. They were all in on it. They were all, all in. Even those that maybe didn't practice, they were like, but I give a thumbs up. I'm a tolerate. I, I'm a I'm a tolerant fellow over here. That, that's not for me, but I applaud you in it. How many Christians do that today? Well, I don't practice that, but I we're open and affirming. You come on and we're just going to affirm you in that sin. Boy, that, you know, good for you. 
That is satanic, wicked, and demonic. And I don't say this in any way, shape, or form to try to bash someone that's in that sin or struggling with that, but I say it to see him set free because Christ forgives, washes, restores, and makes whole that which is broken. And that's as much true of fornication and heterosexual immorality as well. But here in Sodom, they, they affirmed, they're, they're, they were in a place they were no longer ashamed of their sin. They celebrated it. Does that not sound like our country? And again, it's in most of the churches. I, you know, I don't, I don't even need to give examples. You guys know it's true. We'll get into Romans here. Well, we're starting this Sunday. We'll, we'll get into the back part of, part of chapter 1 and a few weeks down the road. And it talks about a culture when they become unthankful and ungrateful. They begin to give an, be given over to a deprived mind. They start worshiping the creation instead of the creator. We can check that box for the most of our country. And then it says the men... They exchange the natural use of, of, of a man with a woman to go after other men. And it says the women do it as well. That's unnatural. N- nature teaches you that that's not, that, that's not supposed to happen. D- the parts don't work. I, I won't get out graphs or anything. But I'll tell you, it brings an early death. I'll tell you that much. About 40 years old, that's the average age if you're a fella in that lifestyle. About 40 years old. You won't hear that on CNN. Probably won't hear it on Fox either. But the wages of sin brings an early death. And again, there in Romans, it's like this. And, and this is something that you need to know tonight. Maybe even right now, I'm irritating you saying this. You're like, I was into the sermon until that because, you know, Uncle Joe over there or whoever, you know, they practice this stuff. It goes on to Romans and says those that approve those of those things that are in the same boat of those that do it. If you accept that and promote it, in a way, you're denying the Lord Jesus Christ. You're denying the Word of God. Jude says if you take the grace of God and use it as a license to sin, you deny the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not going to hear this preaching most places, but this is the word of God. I've said it many times when I was in my sexual sin in rebellion. The last thing I needed was some fake pastor to come along and say, hey, that a boy, you can come here. And we're going to affirm your fornication. There's girls all over. Young man, have at it. Can you imagine that? Isn't that the same thing going on? We're going to affirm you. When it should be, no, look, at this is sin, sin. But if you repent and call upon Christ, the Lord wants to affirm you in Him. And it's sad because this isn't happening off in some corner. It's everywhere. It's not just the mainline denominations, but it's in so many evangelical churches. And I, I'm sorry to say this, even in this community. And it's heartbreaking. And it's not loving. It's evil, it's wicked, it's demonic, it's going to damn souls to hell. It's not representing Jesus Christ. And eventually when cultures fully embrace, it's Sodom, it's Revelation 8. There's a judgment that comes. Go educate yourself in God's word. And the sad thing is in this culture that we're in, now we got educators and counselors and everything coaching kids up with it. Kindergarten. 
well, how, how are you a little boy or a little girl? I'm like, oh, I'm so loving. Oh, I learned all this. At, oh, I learned all this over at Stanford, and I'm so smart and educated. When none of this even makes sense, you're delusional, man. And you're a child abuser is what you are. And you're going to stand before God one day, so you better repent. But I'll lose my job. So what? Would you rather lose your soul? I never thought, I never thought that we, we, it, it would go this far. <laughs> Shows what I know. What's coming next? This is very much like that. It's hellfire brimstone coming out on earth, mingled with blood, thrown down to the earth. 2 Peter 2.6, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ash, condemning them to destruction, making them an example of those who afterward would live ungodly. But notice, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by their filthy conduct of wicked, of the wicked. His soul was vexed. Lot had a lot of issues. But he was righteous because he had faith in the Lord. And he was just stuck there. And he says, man, I'm just vexed by this. I'm troubled by it. I hope that you're vexed and troubled by the sin of this world. If you're like, come on, man, live and let live. You got a serious spiritual problem if that's where your heart is. You're not seeing things through the lens of God's word. You need to get back to the scriptures and understand that God is is holy and if people don't repent again the scripture says you have to confess your sin you know what that means that means a confession means i agree with god's word and what it says that's what that means i confess i make a confession god's word is true what he calls sin is sin and if you go i believe in jesus but i don't think this is sin you're not confessing your sin you have to confess to be forgiven if you have a debt and you're like, but I don't want to be forgiven, then you still have that debt. But the enemy works hard, man. It is true. We're living in a day when that which is evil is called good and that which is good is called evil. And it's just growing more and more and more and more. I don't take pleasure even talking about this stuff, but I have an obligation before God to do so. And um, praise God, I've seen many a man and many a woman delivered from all of these lifestyles, not through telling them lies, but telling them the truth. Because let's get down to it. When you're living in those sinful lifestyles, no matter what they are, you know you're in sin. And so do yourself a favor. Don't surround yourself with liars that want to confirm you in sin. Go back to God's word and cry out to the Lord and watch him wash you, forgive you, heal you, do a miracle in your life. And I say it with boldness tonight, not because I read it, because I've seen it in my own life. I didn't think I'd ever, 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 ever be able to sustain a marriage because of, 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 of all of the things that were thrusted on me and I walked in in so many years. I was incapable. I just celebrated my 27th anniversary to the glory of God. That should be applause for my wife putting up with me. <laughs> but listen, that's why I'm passionate about this because I just, I just know all of those sinful lifestyles. They're just sense pleasurable for a season. But boy, when you lay there at night, is there any pleasure in that? When you lay down there and you know. 
those lonely moments when you're driving down the road and it's silent, you know. I got, you know, that, that, that's one of the reasons why our world's so, but let me get that phone and let me just fill myself because I don't want to sit here and think about the reality of things. Hear this tonight, the Lord loves you. Whoever calls on his name will be saved. He is one that heals and forgives and delivers. And he wants to do that in your life if you haven't called on him yet. God's also truthful. And again, if you want to reject his grace and mercy, there's a judgment that comes in all sin. He's not bringing sin into glory. Sin brings death. And God has a plan and God has a design. And for men to push against that and say, we'll do as we will, which is the motto of Satanism, just so you know, there's a judgment that comes with that. The Lord laid down his life so people can get saved and set free. He wants no one. To spend eternity under his wrath. That's why he was willing to drink of that cup of that baptism that we just read of him wrestling with before he went to lay down his life. Well, Heavenly Father, we praise you this evening. We thank you that you're so good to us, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us, God. This is a garden out here full of sinners. There's no righteous out here in ourselves lord we fall short of your glory every single last one of us but oh lord we thank you for your life laid down we thank you that he who knew no sin became sin for us that jesus you paid our debt a debt we could never pay the requirement of our life is perfection and jesus you lived a sinless life to pay the debt of our transgressions, iniquities, and sin. And I thank you that death couldn't hold you, that you conquered it on the third day, and you stand ready to wash and cleanse and forgive all that call in your name. And I rejoice, God, because I read your word and I identify with the men and women in it. I read about scoundrel after scoundrel that comes to God and gets saved and set free. And I rejoice, God, because I see these people and I see myself. And then I look at you and I rejoice because I say it is true. It is true. Yes, God hates sin. But oh, he loves sinners. And he loves to save them and wash them and cleanse them. I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I rejoice in that, God. And I would hope, man, I would hope, woman, tonight, if you haven't called upon the Lord, you would. I would hope tonight, if you're here and you know that you have heard prophetic words that you would not harden your heart. You need to call upon the Lord. Let Him wash you, cleanse you. If you've been game playing and you know, well, you know, I'm kind of a follower of the Lord, but I'm really not. Listen, you might fool everybody, but you know the truth and so does the Lord. Game time's over. We're getting down to the nitty-gritty. And on top of that, our life's like a vapor here. Call on the Lord. Call on Him tonight. Even now, ask Him to wash you, to cleanse you. To be your Lord and Savior, it's simple. A humble and contrite heart is what He looks for. One broken. One crying out, wash me and cleanse me. Meet me where I am. Lord, meet any and all where they are right now, Lord, praying that prayer.
And maybe that's you, and you're saying, what do I do now, Steve? You follow the Lord. You get in the Word. You become a worshiper of God. You bring your cares before Him. You get together with people that love Him, that want to grow with Him too. We thank you and praise you, God. Bless the rest of our evening, our fellowship, and we pray and ask these things tonight in Jesus Christ's mighty name, and we said together, amen.